0: Good morning, everyone. Great to see you here this morning. My name's Graham. If you are new or visiting, I'm so glad you are here. I feel like I'm miles away, but it, this is like where the light is. So, could you all grab your se- seats and move forward? Yeah, just, it's, it's like a moat here. I feel like there's a... Yeah. Anyway, I, I will inevitably. I'm just going to move forward. You can all see me. I, I'd I'd hate to deny you of the opportunity of seeing this face constantly to be in shadow um hey this morning we i am wrapping up the wrap up that josh did last week uh so we're really wrapping this series up uh it seems appropriate um to kind of uh do one more effort because it feels like as we've joked this series has kind of gone on uh, for a while and even then you may have noticed we, we didn't cover a lot of stuff so the good news is we can come back to revelation again Uh, soon Um, but what I would like to do this morning is is um, again draw out some a couple of ideas but also um, maybe connect to uh, where we're going for our next series which will start on the other side of uh, the school holidays coming up Um, but so uh, fair warning just to get you used to I am going to ask you all in a moment or in a little while, to actually discuss something. So sorry to bust you out of the, you know, um, mess with the roles here where you listen and I talk. You're going to do some talking in a moment. We're going to listen to some stuff and you're going to actually do some talking. But uh, I want to look at, the the series that we've been looking at, the big reveal, has been looking at the fact that Revelation is, the book of Revelation, the Revelation of John, is actually a revelation of of who Jesus is. And one of the constant themes, and I trust you've picked this up, is that this is true of all Scripture, but particularly with the book of Revelation, we tend to read out of it what we bring to it. And so um, one of the things we've been trying to do, and Josh in particular who's led the charge on this, is give us some tools so that we can read this book and really... um, sort of have Jesus revealed in the same way that the early church did the first readers did um, and what the uh, you see up there when we when were talking about this and we're thinking how do, what's the what's the trajectory what do we feel like the hotspot of um, what the spirit of God wants to say to us we came up with this little tagline there living hope in troubled times and that felt particularly relevant because actually that really was what was going on at the time the early church the first hearers of this revelation were really in the midst of quite significant um, turmoil and and persecution and also we realized that there is a sense in which a feeling and, and you've heard me qualify this so many times we do need to be careful about how we overlay our sense in which it's maybe a bit more challenging than it used to be in our world to live out and follow Jesus than it was 10, 20, 30 years ago. And maybe there's a trajectory there. Um, uh, And and it's certainly, there's been some troubled times. So we felt like this has got something to say to us now in our context. Um, I want to zero in, and actually so much of what uh, Josh was sort of talking about before is just spot on, this idea of hope uh, being a doing word. So we're all good with our primary school uh, parts of speech. Doing words, verbs, naming words, nouns, adjectives, describing words. Hope, and Josh was talking about this before. You know, um, the Apostle Paul says in Corinthians, there's these three big pillars of faith, uh, of, our, of the Christian faith. Faith, hope, and love. And there is a sense in which all three of those, as Josh was saying, are kind of conceptual. We talk and think and describe and use this a lot with those things. What is faith? How do we define hope? It can be very conceptual. Ironically and significantly, all three of those, I think we would all agree, when they become profound is when it's done. When we have been on either end of faith being done by us or to us, when love is done by us or to us or through us, that's when it becomes powerful. And uh, that's because in its essence, they are doing words. And we looked at the way in which one of the things in the book of Revelation, we talked again about a bit through the whole journey. it's, it's, It's not just about what God is saying, the Spirit of God is saying about then and about now and about the future the question so often is, what is God doing? And this is fascinating for me as we come and we look in history that it's spoken, this word is revealed, this revelation, this incredible kind of cosmic drama is played out to a group of people who were being pursued, um, who were experiencing persecution from the religious superpowers of the time in their culture the Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, but also the political superpower of the time, the Roman Empire. And yet, if we look through history, and this is just a historical fact, in the midst of that incredible um, persecution, they not only survived, they not only endured, but they flourished to the point in which this small, quite insignificant um, uh, anomaly of the time to- of the time in terms of how big they were and they weren't in positions of power had such an effect that it literally split time in two. Literally. It was so profound. The early church, the work, they looked back and said, We should actually just call everything that happened before Jesus and his followers turned up before that Christ, and then everything after Christ. It split time in two. How did that happen? Something happened. They received a deposit of hope that did something, and that's possible for us. It's not possible, just possible. It's crucial for us. So I want to look at that idea of hope being a doing word. I learned about hope by doing something. I saw hope, um, and that was going to places like this. I've mentioned this before. I had a season in my life um, that I was I considered so fortunate and blessed to travel primarily to um, Kenya and to India uh, a number of times to spend weeks, not a very long time at all, really, uh, in communities like this. We often, I mean, we, we look at those pictures and say, that's a, that's a slum and that's, you know, that would be accurate. I, I've tried to discipline myself um, to not use that word because they're actually people's homes. It's communities. Um, now, I d- don't get nervous if you... Because th- that's, that's collo- colloquially what we would refer to. But um, as a sort of an action point coming out of that, this is where people live. It's their homes. And there's certainly communities that are characterised by desperate poverty, by disease, um, by despair. Um, uh, you can see there on the right, that is a street in that community that's a street and see the ladder there um that goes up to someone else's home who's on top of another home and you're probably in that picture there seeing the homes the houses of about 30 people just rooms and uh, six to ten people living in those spaces um and this is in particular in uh the city of kampur, which I went to about uh went to three times with world Vision to visit a group of people who are working in world uh working in an a d p an area development plan in kampur. kampur's in the north it's on the ganges, and historically it's been a a, a town that's um been built off the textile manufacturing industry and the workers of World well Vision, they work amongst what are referred to as the rag pickers of Kampur. Um, this whole economic system is built on, on kids about this age, younger, anywhere between four and eight. And they go and they, they, their job every day is to go out to the rubbish tips. And again, which, you know, it's, it's just everywhere. Um, and they find textiles and certain and they pick through it all the rag pickers and find these and put them in the bags you can see them see the bag there that that girl's holding and then they take them to the factories where they're used and recycled and World Vision in this this team that's working there is working from the bottom up because that's how the kingdom comes from the bottom up and it's working with these children um and looking to see how they can be educated, how, can, how they can be nourished. It's often the families that are sending them out. Their parents are sending them out because it is the only job that they can get. And so they'll be going out to not just feed them, but their families as well. Uh, but then there's also this incredible uh, complex system that's kind of wrapped up also in the religious system of the untouchables, the Dalit people. And so World Vision is also trying to work from the top down to change this uh, unjust economic system. One of the things that when I uh, went around with, and the the team of people in particular uh, that are there, are just some of the most incredibly uh, skilled experienced. They are like the SAS of international development. They've come from all around the world to work in this program there that's working with these young people because it is so entrenched, it is so difficult. And they're amazing people. And one of the things that they said to me um, was th- they observe in the children what they look for, the early warning signs of children about this age who stop moving, who sit down, um, whose posture in life, other than being active and kind of moving and bright, and they just start being quiet, signs of depression. And what that is, is the reality of their circumstance coming home. And they feel hopeless when they go, This is my life. And the response of hopelessness is to stop moving. We all know what that feels like, right? We've all felt that. And so they're looking for the signs of hopelessness in these children. Uh, that's, you know, early warning signs, con- areas of concern. And so I saw that they would point that out. They, you know, these ones here, the we're worried about them. But then the flip side, I also saw the presence of hope. Now, the picture there on the right, the way in which they would work with these children is to um, bring them out of rag-picking, try and find ways in which they could support their family, but, but educate them. And this is, this is not rocket science. We know this. Education is so important. Uh, for bringing communities out of poverty largely because it gives them a sense of their future that it can be different there are options so if you're a child in these communities and you want to eat there's very little other options but to become a rag picker but when they get an education all of a sudden they're getting skills and opportunities open up and they have a sense of hope To the point in which when you go along into these schools, they are so animated and loud and noisy. There's so much movement because of the presence of hope. It's doing something in them. To the point in which what they actually do, they also have, um, as well as their sort of education schools that they've got, they've got these, they're called youth clubs. But the youth ministry there is not like the youth ministry in the West, let me tell you, because what they do is get together and raise money and organize rallies where they, like this one here, the uh, privilege of seeing this, where they go out and it's entirely led by 12 to 14 year olds. And they get their other kids and they go and and they march through the streets and they beat drums and they wave banners. And what they're trying to do is to recruit their friends and their community, their age, to come to school. They are so moved by hope. That they say we want to do something about this in our community, and they literally march through this, and they have this chant. And as we were going along, there was this chant that they was doing. and There's this one incredible, incredible young woman, young woman. She was a girl. Let's be honest. She was a like twelve, and she's. It's like a call and response kind of thing. And I said to one of the people I was with, "What are they saying?" And he said, "Translated." what they're saying is, we would rather have half a roti. So a roti is like a naan bread. That's that's what they eat. They're, they're, their work is to get a roti for the day, for them and their family. We would rather have half a roti and go to school than have a full roti. Just wrap your mind around what that is. The chi- That's what they're saying. They're saying, we know, because so many of what happens in these schools is the kids come, but then they start to starve. And so they they kind of feel like they need to go back or their parents or the people that are relying on them pull them back into and so they're saying, we know, we know that it's at risk but we would rather starve and get an education. That's their chant. The presence of hope animates and brings life and so witnessing that, it's like doing, witnessing first hand. this is what hope does. And I'll come back to this incredible, uh, the, the team, I mean, it's amazing stories there, but the team who hosts, it's about um, 15 or so, they meet every single morning for an hour for devotions and worship, and then they go into these communities and work with these people every single day, and amongst, well, I mean, I, I, would, I spent no more than in in any one trip, no more than six days in these communities, I wasn't living in them, and it was, it was overwhelming for me. The the it was overwhelming. These these people walking every single day, into this, hope does something profound. It's a doing word. Um, you might be familiar with this guy. Uh, he is the CEO Tim Costello, of um or he was sorry of World Vision, and. I got to know Tim uh reasonably well in that season and um and he wrote a book in two thousand twelve because his life was going around into these places and seeing what hope does in the most desperate places and then coming back amongst the Australian community and maybe seeing uh experiencing like anyone who's gone to a developing nation and Uh, come back into the wealth and affluence again exactly what what josh was talking about we are rich and the perspective setting and his concern about the hopelessness because of like this was 10 years ago um he wrote a book which is just full of stories we're going to play a an interview uh where tim is talking about this on radio national this is now this is 10 years ago and there's some sort of cultural things of the time you just need to be um reminded of so that you can get the um the significance of what he's talking about here because he's talking about hope and he's talking about the context of why he wrote this book and why it's important for australia do you remember about 10 years ago there was that horrendous um it was the lord's Re- lord's uh lord's resistance army in uganda you guys will. joseph coney was his name he refers to this and and Part of that, he, w- he would go and um, into villages and take slaves and recruit them in horrible ways uh, into this Lord's Resistance Army. So he talks about that because it was happening at the time. I think he talks about the Olympics as well, 2012, the London Olympics. And I we might not watch this bit, but there was... I don't know if you remember the 2012. There was so much hope and expectation, particularly for our swimming team, and they were duds. Do you remember... Um, Magnuson, yeah, the missile that misfired so he just just remember that it's not that i mean i, I feel um I, I don't think he's related to chris Magnuson um but, but I feel you know you just need to remember that i'm not trying to double down on that um and there'd also we just had an election where we were going into the minority government with minority labor government with Julie Gillard, and he refers to that. It's amazing, ten years ago listen to how relevant all the themes are here so we're going to listen to just two bits so we're going to listen to a bit at start and then we're going to fast forward um to a little bit later so let's go that we we'll listen and and we'll see it on the screens thanks aurora a world of ideas. he goes on to talk about some other things we'll stop it there we're gonna uh i'm gonna ask you to um Just get into small groups where where you are, whatever you feel comfortable, twos or threes or fours. And just discuss what... what I think Tim Costello is a national treasure and one of the most, if not the most outstanding communicator of the gospel in the public sphere. This is on Radio National. I know some of you have got very strong views about ABC and its hesitancy, its uh, anti-Christian agenda. Well, that was Tim Costello on Morning Breakfast, using that opportunity to open up conversations. Um, I just, I think, in that group, just briefly, I just, uh, what stood out as interesting or significant about what was said there, particularly in the context of hope, what might the areas of overlap w- between what Tim Costello said about hope and the hope that's revealed in the Revelation of John. What 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 do you what do you see? There's a couple of threads there, maybe. Just spend a couple of minutes doing that, just reflecting on what is being said about hope, and what draws true out of what we've been looking at the power of hope, and in, in particularly in the Revelation of John. So let's just do that for a couple of minutes, and then we'll come back and wrap up. I warn you now, you're going to start great conversations, and then I'm going to cut them off. So it's going to be like that. So jump into it don't delay can i get the uh the worship team to come up sorry i'm sure you're starting some wonderful conversations that I'm that would be great for you to pick up maybe Uh, over over our morning tea, so hope is a doing word, and uh one of the things that i I trust you know as as Tim is discussing that there and um that you've seen that when we put our trust, and again, um, uh, there's been a theme here when we were talking earlier about uh, Sarah Do and that idea of depending on Jesus. That also saying it should produce something. It's real because we can point to things, uh, and what is revealed in the revelation is Jesus and the invitation to depend, to put our trust, to follow in a way that's active and real. And absolutely part of that is that it demonstrates the sovereignty of Jesus over in this wild imagery. A lot of that is to speak in really powerful ways about how Jesus is sovereign over the beastly empires of the world. That He is victorious. It's to secure your trust to say with that exchange that Josh had with God. Why are you worried? I am sovereign. It is to secure your eternal future. Absolutely. It is about the future. It is about the afterlife. I hope in all of the things where we've maybe reframed, where people have made mistakes, where we humbly feel people can make mistakes, where I've made mistakes, coming to Revelation and being too heavenly minded or too future. I hope you haven't heard us say it absolutely is about the sovereignty in Jesus and securing what happens at the end of the age, but it's for now, not just for later. It is so that you walk and live with hope. I spoke, I'm finished with these incredible heroes of the faith this team of 15 or 20 who would gather together and, and after one, uh, like, after. One or two days of walking into those communities, I was, and I couldn't imagine what it's like to walk in every day. They are working amongst, I think it was about um, 15 to 20 communities like that in that city of 800 communities. So they live with the constant awareness that, in some sense, this is a drop in the ocean. Whatever success we are having is a drop in the ocean in one of the mid-sized cities of India. And they walk in every day and they walk forward with hope. And one of them pointed out, when, you, when they walk out of their building, they go down the stairs and it's got uh, World Vision India bringing the kingdom of God to the communities of Kampur. And they walk out to remind themselves what they're doing. Every day we're walking forward with this sense of hope, knowing that we are just planting seeds. You might recall as part of this, there was a message I had a while ago where Jesus tells a parable about what the kingdom is like he talks about in agricultural terms which I barely understand at the best of times but he's saying the kingdom of God and those who are about God's work it's like planting seeds and the seeds grow up but the problem is as the the wheat grows up so do the weeds and the background in that story is sometimes it's really hard to tell the weeds from the wheat and it's actually not your job because we talked about weed whacking as we look at the world around us And go, gee, it's just full of weeds. You want to bring out the weed whacker. And some people have used revelation to kind of say, great, those that have done evil to me and to those I love, they're going to get theirs. Which is the complete opposite of what it's meant to do. Say, no, live with hope. That will be resolved, but it's not your job. It's not your job. Go and plant seeds. Go and bring the kingdom of God to the streets of Alderley. to the the suburbs of Brisbane, to the cities of Australia. Go and just plant seeds and walk out in that. Galatians 6 as I close. Let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. Hope means we don't give up. Jesus revealed in us we don't give up so we can be about what God is about. But folks are weary, right? You feel weary sometimes? It feels like a wearying age. We need hope. And if you put your hope in the wrong thing, even just good things at this time, it's not going to do that work. It's only in who Jesus is. We're going to go into a series on the other side where we're going to, again, sink into looking at how Jesus walks. Because if we're putting our faith in that, it's going to produce something in us that we walk and live like Jesus does. It's weary, but remember Psalm 126, those who sow with tears will reap with songs of joy. This is a promise. This is not just poetic, nice ideas. This is a promise from the Word of God. Those who go out weeping, carrying seed to sow, will return with songs of joy. My friends in Kampua, they've got so many songs. They go out weeping. They see those children. They turn up one week and there's this child and they're not moving. And they're, oh no. And they cry. But they have so many stories because they just don't give up. They keep sowing the goodness of God. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. Thank God for that. Because we get weary. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. Amen.